It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. All right. Hey, everyone. Ben Price here with some Thunder Down Under. It's good to be back and uh, really, really enjoying bringing you uh, evangelism truths from heroes of the faith as part of the uh, Thunder Down Under Daily Thunder, Scattered Thunderstorm series. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to uh, look at these heroes, to give them a voice, because some of them, we don't know what their voice sounded like. So I love giving voices to people, and uh, I hope it's been fun. We've looked at uh, four so far. We've looked at uh, Leonard Ravenhill, who I, I love his voice, and uh, I definitely would love to do a, a second one to that, because there is so much that... Uh, it is very inspiring. Then we looked at uh, C.T. Stud. I really enjoyed that one too. And I uh, enjoyed, uh, I'm enjoying them all, as I say. D- David Wilkerson, who, you know, got that quivery uh, sound, but but passionate voice. Uh, and then we looked at, last week, at George Muller. The German one, so it was so much fun to do this voice as well. And uh, this, this gentleman that we're going to look at today is another hero of the faith. And uh, so I'm almost getting into character because if you can see this on, um, on a visual on YouTube, or you might be watching it um, or, or just hearing it on podcast, I don't know if it sounds any different, but I've, I've got somewhat of a beard. Uh, this is really for me, it's just a few days growth. It's about a, about a week, roughly. And, you know, I'm the sort of guy, it's like, I'm like... I'm like Homer Simpson because if I shave in the morning, it'll just come straight back out uh, and I'll have to shave again at night. It's just, it's, yeah, hairy man. And, uh, but, but yeah, I'm getting into the character of this particular gentleman that we're looking at. He was quite plump. Um, I don't know if I really would fit that bill as such. I feel like it because I've been um, eating a lot over the uh, Easter weekend and yeah, I feel, but he was, you know, quite plump and he was English as well. Now I speak English, so I kind of identify. He had, um, he, at a stage of his life, he had depression. Well, I don't really identify so much, except I did have severe anxiety that by the grace of God, he brought me through it. Um, and he smoked a pipe, which, uh, yeah, it's not so much me. I'm not a smoker uh, or the, what, what could I say? I've, I've heard some John Piper messages. <laughs> as close it's not even remotely close uh to this guy um so he was known as who am i talking about a man who lived in the 1800s by the way had a real sense of humor as well so kind of relate uh he was a he was a good communicator he was a speaker i relate to a lot of this he was an evangelist he's yeah very similar in so many ways to myself uh he's known as the prince of preachers and so that's a bit of a clue as to who it was and is C.H. Uh, Spurgeon. We're talking about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, one of the um, giants of our faith. And so, you know, he's, he's someone who's synonymous with heroes of the faith indeed. And uh, I feel in some ways a little unqualified to do this because there are so many people who've studied his whole life, read the complete works. I know a lot about him. I've researched him. Uh, to a certain extent in my life and uh, there's there's impact on my life that he's had and I can say it 
this guy is, is indeed one of those signposts who points us towards Christ. So he's worth talking about. And so I, I'm going to talk about a few things. In fact, I'm going to talk about four aspects of his life that, that are truths that point us to, um, to evangelism truths that we can use in our daily lives uh, as we go out and share the gospel. And you might be thinking, oh, what about this? What about this? There's so much. You could not just do a series, but a whole podcast on this uh, gentleman, C.H. Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was born in uh, 1834 and he died in 1892. He was only 57, only 57. So young and yet so impactful in his life. Um, Known as the Prince of Preachers, as I mentioned. um, And, you know, he was saved at 15. He started his ministry uh, almost immediately and he preached uh, at a church and then went on, of course, to preach at the Metropolitan Tabernacle for 38 years. A very, very long sermon. <laughs> he preached, uh, in fact, over 3,600 sermons in his uh, preaching uh, career. And he had a congregation of over 10,000 people, uh, almost the first megachurch, uh, but but not with that, uh, not with that uh, sort of brand that we would associate typically with that. But he... Uh, was a man who had over 5,000, in fact, 5,103 books in his uh, personal library. So I don't think I've got that many behind me. I probably don't even have 500. So he would have had a house filled with books. And um, But yeah, I'm going to look at four aspects of this man's life. And before we do that, I want to get into his voice. Because uh, again, like uh, George Muller last week, uh, there's no recording. Uh, yeah. Sadly, oh, I'd love it if there was. Uh, I, I searched all over YouTube to see, is there something? And I'm sure it would have shown up if there was. But we have something very kind of close that we don't have with others. And that's that his son, Thomas Spurgeon, recorded the final words of Charles Spurgeon that he preached. And uh, so we have a recording of that. It's very old. It's very crackly. So it's the closest thing we have. It sort of reminds me of... You know, because I think he would have heard uh, his father preaching and that style and, and the, the way he um, presented everything, that, that voice was something that would have come out. And so he was able to not quite mimic that, but that was what he was used to. It's a bit like when Carter Conlon took over from David Wilkerson at Times Square Church, a very a similar voice. It's almost like, is that the same voice, that that same passion, run! Um, and, and you go... Which was that David Wilson or, or Carter Conlon? Uh, it may have been the same thing when, when he took over from his father. People would have gone, is that still Spurgeon? Well, it is Spurgeon. It's just Thomas Spurgeon. All right. Well, it sounds just like his father. And it's it's kind of like that with my, my son. Uh, people say, oh, he's like a, you know, it's like a mini you. And they see old photos of me. And it's like, that's your son. Yeah. It's like uh, he's mimicking me. It's just uh, he's grown up hearing my voice and he's inherited my voice. He didn't inherit, you know, the 200 plus voices. So he doesn't just suddenly become, oh, Wilson. Yeah, no, uh, he probably could. You know, he's very talented like that. But um, that's uh, that's something that happens. In fact, I rang my mum one day and uh, she thought it was my son. And she's like, hello, darling. You know, thinking it's one of the grandkids. It's like, it's me. I know it's you. Oh, it's you. <laughs> and uh, so that, that could have been the thing with uh, Charles Spurgeon's son, that he would have had that inherited voice. His voice is described as like a silver bell. I think I take it that's a compliment. Uh, you know, unlike someone said, your voice is like a school bell. It just rings and rings. It's like an alarm clock. It's annoying. Um, 
No, it was, it was sweet and musical. He was um, an excellent, articulate speaker. And he had you know, talked about having great posture. He said, uh, do not speak with your hands, well, speak with your hands, uh, in your waistcoat pockets so as to contract your lungs, but throw the shoulders back as public singers do. So he had the technique. He also encouraged preachers of the gospel to speak with their mouth, which sounds kind of important, uh, but not their throat or their nose, uh, saying, open wide the doors from which such godly truth is to march forth. March 4th. It's my wife's birthday. <laughs> uh, so there you go. But yes, uh, don't speak through your throat or through your nose. That's what Aussies do. We, we speak through our nose. Hey, on. A lot of Australians. Hey, on, mate. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah. All right, yeah, speak through their nose. They don't even open their mouths. But uh, that's what he would encourage uh, good speakers, good preachers would preach opening their mouths. And uh, so, yeah, and it's said that Charles, as that Thomas Spurgeon's voice sounded just like, almost identical to his father. So I want you to have a listen to this old recording. He Urgent last words, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, June the 7th, 1891, recited by his son and successor, Thomas Surgeon, Edison Bell Records. It is cause for real regret that none of my late dear father's words were preserved by means of the phonograph. Isn't that great to have that? And some people said uh, that he spoke, uh, that Charles spoke quicker than his son and more melodical or more musical, uh, quite theatrical even. And so if I was going to apply the son's voice and give it a bit more uh, musicality or, or, or bit a more, bit more pace, I suppose, I want to read some of the quotes of Charles Spurgeon. He had so many quotes. I want to, I want to focus on a few that are... Um, from the point of view of an evangelist, uh, but there are thousands. It's almost like uh, all of his 3,600 3, sermons, you get so many quotes in there. But here, here's just a few. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. When preaching and private talk are not available, you need to have a tract ready. Get good striking facts or none at all, but a touching gospel tract may be the seed of eternal life. Therefore, do not go out without your tracts. Lost, lost, lost. Better a whole world on fire than a soul lost. Better every star quenched and the skies a wreck than a single soul to be lost. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. I love that last one there. Uh, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. That is so true. And uh, yes, he did have thousands of books. I got to uh, visit his library when I was in um, Kansas City. While I was in was in Joplin, Missouri, and uh, that, that was a trip in itself. I remember actually, um, I arrived there at three in the morning and I had to get up at five the next day to go on a TV show. <laughs> and uh, the guy, when, you know, they dropped me to the hotel, Best Western. I don't think it was the Best Western, but it was, uh, it was certainly Western. And, 
He said, what, what name? I said, oh, it's Ben, Ben Price, you, the Aussie. I'm sure you've been expecting me, three in the morning. <sighs> so tired. And he's like, we don't have you here. I was like, uh, well, try this name. Not, not like an alter ego, but just try all these names of people that I knew were attending the conference, organizing it. And, no, we don't have them here. And I'm waiting for five minutes and I, well, I just need to go to sleep. And the guy who brought me there, you know, was, he's talking to Ralph. This is Ralph at the Best West. And he's going, he goes, come on, Ralph, man, need your room. <laughs> it was so funny. It just stuck in my mind. Uh, I was like, I need a room. And and Ralph had, you know, he was the night guy. He was the, he was going outside of his usual skill set. He was like, oh, well, there is one room. That's all I need. I only need one room, Ralph. He goes, uh, it's a smoking room. Mm, okay, I'll take it, mate. I don't care if the if the room's on fire. I'll take it. <laughs> At this point, I'm ready to sleep here in the in the lobby if that's okay. Yeah, no, we can't sleep there. No, I know. I was asleep. I think it was Ralph's room and I smoked. I didn't smoke. I nearly did because the passive smoke. I was choking. It was like, <laughs> I, I, I inhaled it for about an hour and a half of sleep if I was maybe lucky to get that much sleep and um what an experience but uh yeah great conference and then to finish off this memorable time uh coming back to kansas city they said oh when, when i say they uh, the guys who are organizing the conference not not ralph we can take you to uh kansas city and show you charles spurgeon's library and i thought wow that i, I was picturing a small little room with a you know, one of those little green lights, just like a little den that, you know, oh, like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'll take a quick photo. Let's go back to the airport. But it was this huge library. It was incredibly big and just all these books. Have a look at some of these photos. And you can see there, uh, his pipe was there. I think it was, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to see any more pipes after being in the smoking room, but uh, it had all these sermon notes. It had all... Uh, the books that he'd read and it was incredible. So, you know, he was an avid reader and, uh, but you know, I actually got to uh, stand at the very pulpit, uh, that they brought over from, uh, London to it's there in the library at Kansas city you should go and visit. It. It's, uh, an amazing little experience there that I had. Uh, here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon about the, about the word of God. Some people like to read so many chapters every day, I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters, or oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. And it's so true. It's not about, hey, I did my five minutes every day or my 20 minutes a day. It's great. That, that's good. But, but it's, it's the quality. And uh, even if you do read just a small passage, a few uh, little paragraphs of the scriptures, even a few verses, think about that day and night. Um, as, as it says in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, someone is going to help you. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, and so I love that verse in Psalm 1. I love that whole chapter, and we, we really must meditate day and night. Psalm 119, 97, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Um, and Psalm 119, 11, 
Uh, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So that whole chapter, it's a very long chapter, but it's all about God's word and just the importance of just living in the word of God and, and just soaking ourselves in that word that is the way that Spurgeon did, um, just just bathing in it. Like it's a, it's a good meal. When you ever had a uh, your favorite meal, you, you tend to just mm, you lick your lips and you, you savor it. It's just... You, you almost want to lick the plate, right? Maybe you do if no one's around, but it's just that delicious meal. It's like, oh, I just want to savor every last drop. Not with every meal, but but certain favorite meals that you go. And it's like that because it's it's food to our soul, the word of God. And we want to delight in the word of God and meditate on it. And um, Joshua 1.8 backs this up also by saying this book of the law, we could very well as you know, believers in Christ say this, this scriptures, the, the word of God shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success, which is really backing up what Psalm 1 talks about. Just to meditate on God's word and to uh, enjoy and delight in it. I used to say, I ran a men's group for many, many years and I would be saying, read the word, read the word constantly like a broken record. But it was like, this is Christianity one-on-one, read the word of God. I'd tell the guys there are 96 blocks of 15 minutes in every single 24-hour day. 96 blocks, really? Yeah. Wow. There, there really is. You add it up and there is. And, and if we can't give God just one of those blocks... Come on, guys, we need to rearrange our time. It's so important that we give God our time. He's a jealous God. Another quote here uh, from Charles Spurgeon. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing that hinting to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view of winning them. Providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken of in Scripture as a function of the church. The need is biblical doctrine, so understood and felt that it sets men afire. And entertainment has its place, but it's not what's going to win people to Christ. It's the word that goes forth when we share the gospel on the streets Uh, People say, do you use your entertainment? Hey, sometimes it might attract people, but that's not going to save them. It's the word of God. And the word of God is necessary to be preached uh, in season and out of season. We've got to preach God's word and that's going to stick with them. And it won't return void, as it says in Isaiah 55, 1. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So when we share the gospel, bring the scriptures in. And so when we live in the scriptures, it's it's going to ooze out of us. Um, I think one of the other quotes that uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, he said, if, if you were to cut him open, you would he would bleed scripture because he was so filled with the word of God. And, and I feel like, That's something that we want to do when we go out sharing the gospel. And the next thing I want to look at from Charles Spurgeon, it's so important. It's a a technique uh, that's biblical that we use in our evangelism. It's using the law in evangelism. Whoa. You might go, well, aren't we to preach grace? And we've 
you know, moved from the law. There's a lot that think like that, but actually it's so important that before we bring grace that we use the law because in Galatians 3.24, it says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Uh, it's a tutor. It's a schoolmaster that brings us, that leads us to Christ, and we want that. So well, let's use the law. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It is reviving or converting the soul. So let's use that to convert souls. We want to see souls come to Christ. Let's use the law. Uh, here's what Spurgeon said, who, who used the law. The law is intended to show a man the misery which fall upon him through sin. There was a time when he seared me with visions and affrighted me by dreams when by day I hungered for deliverance, for my soul fasted within me, I feared lest the very sky should fall upon me and crush my guilty soul. God's law had got hold upon me and was stewing me my misery. If I slept at night, I dreamed of the bottomless pit, and when I awoke, I seemed to feel the misery I had dreamed. Up to God's house I went, my song was but a groan. To my chamber I retired, and there with tears and groans I offered up my prayer without a hope and without a refuge. I could then say with David, the owl is my partner and the bittern is my companion. For God's law was flogging me with its ten-thonged whip and then rubbing me with brine afterwards, so that I did shake and quiver with pain and anguish, and my soul chose strangling rather than life, for I was exceeding sorrowful. Some of you have had the same. The law was sent on purpose to do that. There is a purpose of the law. It will bring that conviction of sin. And uh, it does its work to humble us. When I first heard uh, Ray Comfort share about, Ray Comfort shared about the law, the law being the key and hell's best kept secret. So watch that if you haven't seen. That's on YouTube. You can watch it free. Uh, it's, it's a follow-up to this because it's so important. Spurgeon, Whitfield, Wesley, many others all used God's law when they preached and they you know, saw people staying uh, as opposed to the modern gospel. God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, it's that improved, that better life. Well, it is better because when we come to Christ, we, we'd say it's, yeah, of course it's better as Christians, but but it's not better from the world's perspective that, oh, it's going to improve and our life's going to be wonderful. It's actually going to be a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging, a lot more uh, trials and suffering and struggles, but but God's going to give you the grace to endure it and the joy, and ultimately we know it leads to life, eternal life. So we would never change it once we realize how good it is to follow Jesus, and uh, there's no turning back. But uh, yes, it's it's not an easy life, uh, as the modern gospel might might depict it to be, but it's certainly a life that uh, 
Yes, it's difficult, but God will give us the strength. And I think when we use God's law, it's really going to get people to be aware of their sin, which the modern gospel may not. It'll you know downplay or water that down. And um, you know, I used to tell people, you, you need Jesus, all right? which is true. But they didn't see the need for it because it's like, well, I'm fine. My life's going well. And, uh, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross or, or the preaching or the, the message of the cross is folly or, or foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if I was just to say, Jesus died for your sins, that's foolishness. That's folly to them that are perishing. But if I bring the law in to give them the correct context to show them this is why you're a sinner, we show them the law. It's like uh, holding a mirror up to to say how do you how do you see yourself in relation to God's law, and that that's the measuring uh, standard that we have because God is holy. He says to be holy as I am holy, which the the law is holy. People say, well, no one's perfect, and yes, I say that's the problem. Because we need to be. We often look at our lives and we say, well, I'm better than criminals and there's a big gap between them and me. Maybe so. But there's a greater gap between us and God. And that's what's the concerning part is that we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, we use God's law to show them, no, you're not good. You might be a good person, you know, a great guy, great, great girl or whatever, but not the goodness, the standard in order to have eternal life. And that's the standard that's important. That's what we're going to be judged upon. And so uh, using the law will help humble them because their pride and pride's at the root of all sin. Um, so there's, there's pride in, in all of us that needs softening, that needs humbling, and the law will do that. So we, it's important that we use it in a, in a lawful manner. As uh, Paul writes to Timothy in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So don't just whack people over the head with the law and say, you're a sinner, you're a, a liar, a thief, you're a, you're a blasphemer, you're a adulterer, you, you know, this and that. Don't do it like that. Show them lawfully. And, and with gentleness as well and respect to show them, yes. And, and don't hold back on the truth. Yes, there are consequences. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Thieves, adulterers, uh, blasphemers, they will not enter the kingdom of God. And so there is a, a seriousness to it. There was a young guy at the station last Thursday before Good Friday. We, we went out with a team and it was a wonderful night. And this 18-year-old uh, guy sharing the gospel with him. And I showed him because he said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll get to heaven. There was, there was that little bit of pride there. And when I, you know, brought the law of God and I showed him uh, through one of these uh, good person test tracks, which we use, uh, they're great. And they're great even if people walk off because they still have the message. But I shared with him, yes, you know, he's lied, he's stolen, he's blasphemed God's name, etc. And suddenly you see that, okay, there's that conviction, that pride is, is being squashed. And, and he says, yeah, but what about if I have done more good than bad? And I said, try that in court. Tell the judge, yeah, I stole, I killed. But yeah, I've done a hundred good things. That That's more than the bad things. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work, right? What if I'm really sorry? Again, tell it to the judge. He'll say, good, be sorry, but pay your penalty. He said, what can I do? 
said, I want to go to hell. I said, well, I don't want you to go to hell. And God wants none to perish. He's like, well, what? I said, you can't do anything. He's going, oh, no. I said, but God did something for you. God's rich in mercy. 2,000 years ago, God paid your penalty in full. When his life's blood was shed at the cross, it was paying your penalty and mine and everyone's penalty in the world. And he died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And if we would repent of our sin, put our trust in Jesus, he gives us the free gift of eternal life. And so it became good news. But if I started out with that, it might have been folly. Because he's like, well, that's, that's not good news for me. But when I show him, by using the law lawfully, ah, yes, you're, we're all sinners, right? Then he wants the grace. It's like a, a doctor telling a patient, here's the symptoms, um, here's the, the consequences of those symptoms. Oh, please give me the cure. And that's what we want our preaching to be, that they're almost uh, begging for the cure. And that's the gospel. So yes, use God's law. For me, it was a game changer. And since I learned about that, I couldn't wait to share the gospel. And I love to share the gospel because we have this key, the law. And that's something Spurgeon used. And something else that I do believe was also uh, part and parcel with the success of his preaching and the um, what really was a bedrock of his um, is preaching Christ and Christ crucified. And that's so important. We can get carried away on tangents of so many things. And there's a lot going on in the world where we can talk about this and that, but we want to be central to Christ and him crucified. That's the pinnacle of all our faith. Here's a story uh, that Charles Spurgeon had a, a young preacher preach. Uh, probably would have been in the tabernacle. Uh, not exactly sure, but it was uh, a young man who came and said, uh, so I'm going to give him a voice. He said, well, what do you think of my sermon, sir? Oh, uh, a, a very poor sermon indeed. A poor sermon? It, it took me a long time to study it. I no doubt of it. Well, why then do you say it was poor? Did you not think of my explanation of the text to be accurate? Oh, yes, very correct indeed. Well, then why, why do you say it was a poor sermon? And didn't you think the metaphors were appropriate and the arguments conclusive? Yes, they were very good, but as far as that goes, it was still a very poor sermon. Will you tell me, uh, why do you think it was a poor sermon? Because there was no Christ in it. Well, Christ was not in the text. We're not to be preaching Christ always. We must preach what is in the text. Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, whether it may be, there is a road to London? Yes. Ah, and so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures, that is Christ. And, my dear brother, your business is, when you get a text to say, now, what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road toward the great metropolis, Christ. When I first heard that story, it again was this game changer moment of my life where I thought, wow. Now, I knew there were typologies or Christologies where you could see Christ in the Old Testament. Many people say the Old Testament 
is Christ concealed. The new is Christ revealed. And I knew there were little stories, Abraham being asked to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and then the ram caught in the thicket. It's a symbol of Christ taking our place and it's a picture of the Calvary cross of Jesus Christ. And I knew that and I knew there were, uh, I'd preached about Noah and, um, you know, there's one door to the ark as the same as one gate to enter salvation uh, through Christ to get on that narrow path, to, to strive to enter the narrow gate. And so I saw that you know, there was a parallel. There was this typology or, or Christology. And yeah, I saw little parts of Jesus in the Old Testament. But, but when I realized that, I thought everything, it all points to Jesus. The Proverbs is the wisdom of God. Uh, and Jesus was the wisdom of God revealed in flesh. And uh, it, it's everything. The, the prophetic uh, books of the, the Old Testament prophets, they all point to Jesus. Uh, you see so many references in Isaiah that's pointing to Jesus, talking about Jesus. That's talking about Jesus. It's like um, when, when I listen to Nathan Johnson's message, it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, I can't imitate you yet, buddy, but I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It'll happen, but definitely everything in scripture, even the genealogies. Yes. Genie who? Genealogy. You know, and Abraham was the father of Isaac and the father of Jacob and Joseph. And so it, those, when you break down the meanings of all the names, who's it talking about? Jesus. It's all pointing to Christ. And so this, this is the word of God, which is, you know, we know the word of God is Jesus. The Bible is also the word of God. So this is reading about Jesus and it all points to Christ and him crucified, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the pinnacle of our faith. And uh, this is what, you know, if you look at Charles Spurgeon, say he was a successful, successful in, in not the world's eyes, although that it was, but but more importantly, in God's eyes, the, the way he built the kingdom of God, it was established on the word of God. And preaching Christ crucified. It was incredibly important. Like like Paul. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 says. For I decided. Or uh, some versions say. I determined. Uh, to know nothing among you. Except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And may that be the way that we preach as well. When we go out on the streets. We're going to get asked a lot of questions. Oh, what about this? What about that? People go off on a tangent. You can answer them a little bit. But. Bring it back to Christ and Him crucified. That's our center point. That's where we want to be decided that to know nothing among our preaching except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Um, the other thing I want to look at with Charles Spurgeon is that he was an open air preacher. And you might think, well, I'll skip this bit because I'm not really an open air preacher. I'm, um, I'll share the gospel, at my work with my colleagues, and I'll leave it at that. And great that you do that, but there is, there's going to come a time where we preach open air. And whether it's to one person, because we're outside in the open air, or whether it's to many, we don't want to neglect this. Uh, and Spurgeon uh, gave biblical precedent for this. He said, he cites that Noah and Enoch, Moses and Samuel, they all preached outside. So it's good for them. It's, it's good for me. 
And, and Christ himself preached most of his sermons outdoors. The greatest sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And it was outside so those around would hear. And I think this is wonderful if, if we can do this outside uh, in the open uh, for many to have the opportunity to hear Christ. And this is historically a precedent that Charles Spurgeon uh, cited because he looked at, you know, there's Wesley, there's Whitfield, there's D.L. Moody, and there's, there's many more uh, that we can say these gentlemen preached outside and they had many people come to Christ. Let us do the same. We want to uh, go out. Uh, Romans 10, 14, it says, How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So let's get out there and let's share the gospel. Um, Spurgeon also said one of the earliest things that a minister should do when he leaves college and settles in a country town or village is to be in open air speaking. It's, uh, it's quite challenging there, isn't it? As opposed to just preach this sermon on Sunday and then do whatever you have to through the week. It's no get out there in the open air. And, and that's one of the first things he, he encouraged new pastors to survey the town for a, a good spot to preach. He uh, gives pastors suggestions, the market, the or outside the courthouse on a wagon in the field or at a rustic festival. Pastor, have you surveyed your town to find an outdoor pulpit? Have you looked at the community calendar to see when the next parade or festival will take place? Are you making open-air preaching a priority in your community? This is a challenging question because we want to reach the community. Are we open-air preaching? Whether it's to one or to thousands, but are we doing that? And I love that. Um, I really hope I'm doing the voice justice with Charles Spurgeon because there are so many people that would, would follow and read all the works and think, I don't know if he sounded like that or I don't know myself. I'm basing it on his son's uh, voice being similar. And uh, I remember when I first kind of got that voice, I wanted to test it out on some English people. I, I Skyped them. Remember Skype? This was before Zoom and um, Skype just kind of got, uh, what happened to us? But uh, I, I Skyped some friends uh, in England and, and said, what do you think of this voice? And I expected them to be really constructive and say, yeah, you need a bit more um, depth or you need a bit more. Uh, but they, they just very English and went, yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's, that's really good. Yeah, yeah keep, keep that up. They're so polite. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but open air preaching is uh, something that we definitely want to see. And, and Luke 14, 23, it says, Then the master, and so this is Jesus telling a parable, but it's really uh, him speaking to us as well. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So we've, we've got to be out there in the highways, the byways, because how else are we going to reach the people that are out there? Uh, and I want to encourage you guys to not put restrictions on yourselves. Um, I don't like the word restrictions, especially coming out of lockdowns. But uh, but especially with evangelism, don't just say, well, I prefer one-on-one -on -one evangelism. That's good. And, and start with that. You know, don't think, yeah, I'll preach to 50 tomorrow. Start with the one. Even if it's, here's a tract. Or don't say here's a tract. I, I tend 
tracks. People don't know what a tract is. I just say, did you get one of these? Not, would you like one of these? They might go, oh, no, thanks. Did you get one of these? People, oh, what is it? Here you go. It's called a good person test. Are you a good person? And then we get into the gospel. It's as simple as that. Uh, start with one and work your way up. And don't just restrict by saying, well, I'll just do it with one person and you know, leave the 50 up to you. Uh, it, it'll take time, just like David didn't start with a giant. He started probably with a bear or, um, well, probably even before that, a, a fox and a, and a rabbit. Um, and, and then the bear and the lion, of course, the giant, and then the armies that he took on. It was building more and more strength in him um, as he went on. And God will do that with us as well. But don't just say, you know, when, when I looked at George Mueller's life, he, God, everything belongs to you. He, he utterly, he utterly died. Remember that? And um, I might have talked about how I had prayed a prayer and it was a dangerous prayer saying, Lord, uh, whatever you want, however you want, whenever and, and wherever you want, God, I'm yours. Spend me, use me. Uh, I'm at your disposal. We're like, Clay, you're the pot of God. Do whatever you have to. It's, it's a dangerous prayer. And it means that, God, if you want me to speak to one person, I will. If you want me to speak to 5,000, I will. <laughs> I, I'm happy to get uncomfortable. If it means bringing at least one person to Christ, God, I'll get as uncomfortable as I have to. The most comfortable I am with my Christianity is when I'm most uncomfortable and I think it's important that we say, God, I've got to get out of my comfort zone because their soul is worth it. And God will give you the boldness to speak, whether it's one person or whether it's thousands of people, God's going to do it. And we are called to go into the world. This is open air and to make disciples. And this is something that we see that Spurgeon was able to do, not just in the confides of his church uh, where there were thousands, but to the thousands more that were outside. So just to recap, uh, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Use the law in our evangelism to lead sinners to Christ. Be all about Christ and him crucified. And open air preach, whether it's to one or many, as I said, be ready and be available to be used at God's disposal. And as we looked at uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's life, I'm grateful for him as he points us all like a signpost to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that we can look and we can learn so much. But uh, we want to learn not just to heap up knowledge, but to say, God, do the same in me. Use me as you used him. Uh, if, if it's not in the same capacity, just, just to use some of these truths to win souls for Jesus Christ. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that we can live in the word of God, that we can uh, bring people to Christ by preaching the law, uh, that we can use, um, that we can actually preach Christ in him crucified, not be distracted. And whether it's to many people or to one on one, we just want to be always ready to defend the hope, uh, no matter who you bring across our path. Give us your strength as we do this in Jesus name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. 
and our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.